My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this we know that we have come to keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. The word of the Lord. I don't know about you, but marketing slogans are a very interesting thing, aren't they? We used to be in business development, and one of the challenges, how do you showcase your product? How do you make it attractive? And so these various companies come up with these slogans to try to attract people to their product. It was Mary Kay that said, I don't sell cosmetics, I sell hope. And so she's, you know, the angle is, so I, I pulled some of my favorite slogans to really take a look and see if these things are true. New York Times, all the news that's fit to print. What do you think? True, false, I don't think so. How about this, McDonald's, I'm loving it. Okay, you may be loving it, but my stomach is not loving it when I get home, okay? Pantene, your hair will outshine the sun this summer. I could never look at my wife. She burned my retina. Your hair will outshine the sun. How about this? Direct TV, it'll change your life. That's fantastic. How will it change my life? Basically, it'll make me a couch potato, and I'll gain about 20 pounds if I uh, take advantage of Direct TV changing your life. It was Bill O'Reilly, the uh, commentator and pundit that wrote a book called Who's Looking Out For You? And he proceeds to go through all the various uh, industries and examine the truth that often people aren't looking out for us. That they're simply using talk and speech to manipulate us to do something we don't want to do. I think that's why we live in an age of cynicism. You know, approval and confidence in government or in corporations is an all-time low. Because there's something in us that says, you know what, I'm not sure these people are looking out for us. It was Alexander de Tocqueville, the French philosopher, who said, America is great because it's good. And when America ceases to be good, it will no longer be great. And so we have to ask the question for ourselves, who's looking out for you? Who's looking out for my health? Who's looking out for my relationships? But most of all, who's looking out for my life? This is a beautiful passage because we see that there's one who is looking out for us. Notice the words, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. There is someone who is looking out for us, an advocate, someone who stands for us, stands in our place, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And because Jesus is our advocate, everything changes. How would my life be different if I grabbed a hold of this truth that the Son of God, the one who created and manages the worship, uh, the, the universe, is for me? It would change my heart. It would give me joy. And it would change my life. The way I relate to people. The way I relate to this world. See, His love changes our life. And what He speaks is the truth. So what I want to talk about in this passage is three ways in which the love of God, our advocate, changes our life. Number one, it changes my 
God's advocacy and love changes my heart. Number two, it changes my life. Not just the way I feel, but the way I live. And finally, number three, love changes my relationships. The way I relate to everyone around me. So let's look at these three things, because the truth of the matter is, the way you live reveals who it is you love, who it is you love. A transformed life is the proof of a transformed heart. So let's look at some of these points. Number one, love changes my heart. 1 John 2.1 in the sermon text says, uh, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Now what are these things that he's talking about? Remember last week we talked about the scripture, 1 John 1, 6-10, where it says that God is light, and in Him there is no darkness at all. That God is beautiful, and thus when we're in His light, we walk in His light, we walk in a different way. And so I'm writing these things, says the Apostle John, so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate. You know, I love this. God is not saying that we're perfect, because the reality is we're not. If anyone does sin, you and I are guilty. That's why we have confession on Sundays. We're not perfect, but we're also not guilty. See, we need someone who will defend us. I'm writing to you these things so that you may not sin, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. The word advocate is a very interesting one. If you read it in the Greek, it's parakletos. Much like the word paraclete, the Holy Spirit, who comes alongside. There's no more beautiful picture when somebody's wounded on the battlefield and there's his fellow soldier who's carrying him because he's come alongside. He's saying that Jesus comes alongside because he's the paracletos. He's the advocate. In Latin, ad toward and invoke voice. He's the one who speaks. Have you ever been in a place and Somebody says, who will speak for this man? We see that there is one who speaks in our defense. Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is our defender. Our attorney. Attorney literally means the one appointed. God has appointed an attorney who will speak for us. And this attorney is with the Father. He's in the throne room. Now if you have an advocate, you also have an don't you? There's a defender. You have a prosecution. Who is our prosecutor? His name is Satan. Satan literally means to accuse. We see this in the Bible. Remember the story of Job, where God's in heaven and Satan comes into his presence and God says, where have you been? Roaming the world. Essentially looking at the roadness of the world. And God says, have you considered my servant Job? And Satan says, if you hand him over to me, I will show you who he truly is. For Satan is the accuser. See, all of us, my friends, we stand in the courtroom and there are three people in it. There's God, the Father, there's Jesus, the righteous, and there's Satan, the accuser. And we sit in the dark. Now, why is Jesus allowed in the courtroom? Because he is the righteous one. The one who has standing. But why is Satan allowed in the courtroom? It's because of us. It's because he has a complaint to lodge that is a valid one. And so we need a defender 
who protects us from the accuser. And so Jesus defends, but he also overturns. Look at 1 John 2, 2. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. The word here, propitiation, is called kapareth in Hebrew. It's not as much a concept as it's a thing. Exodus 25, 17, And thou shalt make an ark cover of pure gold. Two cubits and a half shall be the length thereof, and a cubit and a half the breadth thereof. See, the ark of the covenant, you know, you've seen Indiana Jones, right? The box in which the commandments of God were kept was covered by a, a, this cover called the mercy seat, the kapoareth. And the goal of the mercy seat, it was a place where God's presence was. The scriptures say that God is enthroned above the cherubim, this mercy seat. And there's only one time when someone come in, to come in. You see, if Satan is the accuser, the code of law by which he accuses is the Ten Commandments, the laws of God. And so we are in trouble. This is what Jesus said. I have come in my Father's name if you don't accept me. But if someone else comes in his own name, you will accept him. But do not think I will accuse you before the Father. Your accuser is Moses, on whom your hopes are set. See, the law is the condemnation of us because we are not holy people, are we? Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and soul and strength. Do not bow down to an idol. We are guilty. And so this mercy seat is the thing that stands between the commandments and the wrath of God. But not only is this an object, it's a task. You see, the words Yom Kippur literally mean the Day of Atonement. Tradition and legend says that the Day of Atonement and these instructions were handed to Moses when he came down from the mountain on the second time with the New Commandments. When they were given atonement for creating this golden calf and following it. And so every year on the Day of Atonement, in would come the priests, the high priests, into the holy place. And when he would take the blood of goats and, and uh, bulls and he would sprinkle it on the mercy seat. So that the wrath of God would be kept down. The law of God would be protected from rising up into God. So his wrath, as we see with Moses, would not burn against the people. But we see that one has come. And who has brought his blood, who has forever sealed the mercy seat. Hebrews says that Christ, however, went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not man-made. That is to say, not a part of his creation. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the holy place once for all by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. See, the word kafar, from which we get kapra, literally means to wipe out. As God says that he has hurled our iniquities into the sea, so through the blood of Jesus Christ, the mercy seat is sealed. See, my friends, the trial is over. If you were to walk into the courtroom, there would be no one there, save for one. Jesus Christ, who continues to advocate and never leaves his seat, protecting and defending us all the time. But we have to ask the question, who is Christ the advocate for? Notice at this last part right here, it says that he is not only for our sins, but also for the sins of the whole world. 
says, and this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in the Son. Whoever has the Son has life, but whoever does not have the Son does not have life. Because whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. See, God's salvation is sufficient for the whole world, but it's not efficient. Christ died not for everyone, but Christ died for those who believe in him. Some of you know the story of our daughter, Eugenia. Uh, I'm sorry, our daughter, I'm going to talk to you about Eugenia. Maria, who we brought uh, from Nicaragua. And Maria was found when she was very young uh, on the street, and she was brought into an orphanage. You know, one of the challenges of orphans is there's no one to speak for them. They are the lost voices who grow up in these institutions, and when they're old enough, are sent out into the street. And so Maria was in that situation. Who would speak for her? One of the nameless, faceless people, indeed, who didn't even know how to communicate when she went. But there was one, her name was Eugenia, which means Eugenia. She was the housekeeper. She was somebody that cleaned, low-paid, menial job all day long, taking care of 30 orphans, you can imagine. Not educated, didn't even have all of her teeth, but she loved our Maria. And Maria used to follow her around. And Eugenia watched out for Maria. She was her advocate. She gave her love when no one else would. And because of Eugenia, she, unlike many orphans, knew how to love and to accept love. See, we have an advocate, my friends. One who stands in our, uh, in our place. But for many of us, Jesus is our accuser. We dare not go into the courtroom because we think that he will be the one that slams down the gavel. But we see that that's not the truth. Maybe we're afraid to make him our advocate because we can't forgive ourselves. We know that if God really knew who I was and what I had done, there was no way that he would protect me. And so we hide from God, we hide from the court date. But my friends, if you are a Christian, you stand not in the courtroom of law, but in the courtroom of grace. And so you and I must examine the books. We must not be afraid to peer into our own lives. For as John Newton said, I know two things in life, that I am a great sinner and God is a great Savior. Examine the books every day. For our names, if you are a Christian, are written in the book of life. And as a result of examining the books, live as a free man and a free woman. who are free from accusing, free from condemnation, free from Satan. You know, you and I have many accusers on this earth, don't we? Many folks who point the finger, even the advertisers, right? This is the way you're supposed to be or else. But we have an advocate with the Father, the righteous one, Jesus Christ. He is the one who can change my heart and set me free. Well, this brings me to my second point. If Christ can change our heart, He can also change my life. Look at 1 John 2, 3, and by this we know that we have come to know Him, if we keep His commandments. This word know literally means to love. You always see this in the Bible, you know, those He foreknew, He predestined, really means those He foreloved. You know, to know someone is to know them in their intimacy. 
And this word love is in what's called the perfect tense in Greek. It means something that has changed, that continues on, the beginning of a relationship. We know that we've come to uh, know him if we keep his commandments. See, what happens, as you all well know, is that love begets love. Love is an effect, it's not a cause. The measure of the love that I have in my heart is a reflection of the changed life that I have. Because true love moves from my heart into my life. And so Jesus, through the Apostle Paul, says this, we know that we've come to know him if we keep his commands. I don't know if you've ever fallen in love before, but I have. It's a great feeling, isn't it? To meet someone and to be attracted to them. I remember falling in love with my wife in college. You know, it's very interesting when you fall in love. All of a sudden, your interests become less and less important, and theirs become more and more important. You know, I used to hoard all of my money and be a miser, but no, all of a sudden, all my cash is going this way. Because I want to give a gift. I want to take her to dinner. I want to show her I love her. See, the important, but I would never do something that she would hate, would I? I would be very, very attuned to what it was that she wanted. Because love begets love. And love is tied in with keeping commandments and wishes. See, the commandments of God show His love for us. He's giving us commandments because of His love for us. Listen in Deuteronomy, and now Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? But to fear the Lord your God and to walk in all His ways. To love Him, to serve Him with all of your heart and with all of your soul. Which I am commanding you today for your own good. See, God gives us commands for our own good. Why does He do that? Because He's our Heavenly Father. And that's what fathers do, don't they? They give them instructions to save and grow them up. But if the Father shows His love for us and His commands, so do we as well. Joshua 22, 5, But be very careful to keep the commandment and the law that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you, to love the Lord your God, to walk in all His ways, to obey His commands, to hold fast to the servant with all your heart and with all your soul. See, to love is to keep fast after His commandments. Love, my friends, is a verb. It's not a feeling. One of my favorite songs that I love, Feeling Nostalgic, you, you know it. You never close your eyes anymore when I kiss your lips. And there's no tenderness in your fingertips. You're trying hard not to show it, but baby, you've lost that loving feeling. And it's gone, gone, gone. Where'd it go? Isn't that love? You know, it's a preference in this world. I love you until I love you. When the feeling goes, oh well. It must have been love, but it's over now. Love is a verb and a decision. To love is to love with your life and with your heart, not just your feelings. 1 John 2, 4 says, Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commands, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. This word keep, by the way, is a present participle. A good way to translate it is, Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep keeping his commands. We've already established that we are sinners and that we do sin. But what he's saying is there's a life that reflects obedience to God. And if we are not keeping his commands, if there's not a pattern in our life, then we're actually liars. We're lying to God. We're lying to the world and we're lying to ourselves. 
You know, there's something very wrong, you know, in abusive situations where somebody loves you and they hate you at the same time. They love you and they speak and they tell you this, yet their life reflects everything else. Imagine those mixed signals and what they do to people. To say you love and to act in a way that is contrary to God's requirements and laws hurts God's heart. I'm going to tell a story I'm not very proud of. I, was, uh, I dated a gal throughout high school. And we dated for a long time. Neat gal. And uh, we were dating. And one time I was in a situation that I should not have been in. And there was another gal, and I ended up kissing her one night. I'm not proud of that, and you know why? Because to love someone is faithfulness, isn't it? I remember the day that she asked me about that, I heard this. And I remember breaking down and sobbing, because I knew the truth. The words I was speaking were not consistent with the life I was living See, the commandments and keeping them are the proof that we love God. How do you know that you love God? Number one, you know His commandments. See, we must know His commandments. Because the scripture says that anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in the mirror. And after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. See, the way we know the truth and the way we must live is to know his commandments. But we must also care about them. Do I care about God's heart? Do I care about his life? Is there a sensitivity in my heart? Much like me with that gal I was dating. Is there a confessive spirit? When I do uh, realize and recognize the sin which God often brings to my forefront, do I fall on my knees and say, I'm sorry? Or am I callous to the heart of God? We must know His commands. We must care about them. And number three, we must prioritize His love. I love my wife. I love my kids. I love my church and I love my country. But I love God and must love Him first. For He says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, and all of your soul, and all of your strength. And so to prioritize my love is to put His commands first. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. We must know His word. We must care about it. We must prioritize it. And we must surrender it to His commands. Truth, if I'm honest, I don't want to obey God's commands. But Jesus who is in me does. And He is in me and I am in Him. I won't obey His commands. But He is in me and I am in Him and He can. Left to myself, I will live in the ways of this world. But Christ is in me. So one of the best things you can do day by day is surrender. God, here I am. God, help me. I'm here. Guide me and help me to live in your commands. What are they right now? To surrender to His commands is to say, I do love Him. Show me how. And that is a promise and prayer that God will speak. That's precisely, by the way, why you come to church and hear the sermon and go to adult education. You know, I'm sitting by the phone waiting for people to call me, saying, hey, I'm in a situation. What does God's Word say about this? That's what you're paying for, by the way. Pick up the phone and call. I'm so thankful for 
Michelle, who's, she's having a challenge. She wants to know what God's Word is. She picks it up and she calls. By the way, if you go to RedeemerVB.com, our website today, there is a link on the front page of blog post that is a link to a host of Bible resources. Verse finder, concordance, dictionary, everything you need to start studying God's Word. Love changes the way I live. Because a transformed life is the proof of a transformed heart. So live in a way that reflects your love. Which brings me to my last point. That love changes my relationships. 1 John 2, 5. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we know that we are in him. See, something happens when we keep God's commands. When we show our love for him. The love of God becomes perfected in our life. How do you know that you keep God's word and obey Him? You start to look more and more like Him. You start to take on His values. You start to take on His compassion and His forgiveness. You start changing the way that you look at other people. The love you have and forgiveness for your spouse. Your compassion for the jerk at your work. The anger that you have for people who do you wrong. You receive more and more and give more and more grace and forgiveness. See, the perfect love of God is transforming us from the inside out. When we have God's love, we're able to give love. It's the most precious commodity in the world, you know. Scarcest resource, love. But when God, when we obey God's word, and he's perfecting his love and his life in us, we're able to be just like Jesus, standing as an advocate in the courtroom of the person that does not deserve grace or mercy. For the scriptures say, whoever says that he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. You know, Jesus is calling us to the path of grace. It's not a one-time thing. We wouldn't say walking, would he? It's a path. It's a step. Place by place, deciding to walk in the path. Jonathan Edwards put it this way, Grace is but glory begun, and glory is but grace perfected. So I finish with these final questions. How's your walk? What's the path that you're on? Does your path start grace? Have you resolved to stand on Him who's abandoned His life and taken it up again for you? Remember your starting place, my friends, every day. Go back to the beginning, in the morning, and in the afternoon, and the evening. Visit the courtroom, for He is there. And along the way, remember His word, which is like guardrails on the path. Keep us along the straight and narrow. Broad is the way that leads to destruction, but narrow is the way that leads to life. And if you are a Christian, you found it. The person, Jesus Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the life. To love is to obey, and to obey is to love. A transformed life is the proof of a transformed heart. And so live in a way it reflects your love for God and His Son, Jesus Christ. Let's pray.
Love so amazing. Love so divine. How can we comprehend? One who would stand in our place amidst our filthiness and sin-stained clothing. And be our advocate, the righteous one, who would speak for us but no one else would. Who would die for us. Jesus, we love you. Father, we love you that you sent him, that you are so willing to forgive that you would send your only begotten Son. Lord, I pray for every single person in this room that we would believe in you and receive your forgiveness. That we would walk in obedience to your word, keeping your commands faithfully, diligently, and fearfully. And finally, that our love that we have would overflow and be perfected into our relationship with one another, with the friend, with the person right next door, with the guy who is at the gas station registered. Or let your love flow through our lives and transform this world from the inside out. All of us we pray in Christ's name. Amen.